know, another comparison I'd say is talking about fears. So when people say, oh, you know, I'm going to go and through height depilation trail and you can tell a friend or a family member and they can come back and say, well, aren't you scared? Or what about the bears? Or what if you get lost? Or, oh my God, I could never do that. And it's how you handle their fears when they're putting them back on you. Like, oh, aren't you worried about X, Y, and Z? And so I've, I've got to this point when people make comments like that to me it's nothing at all to do with me that's them telling me what their fears are and so it, sometimes you've got to just be really take yourself out of the situation welcome to the hiking through podcast I'm Erin Egan, and this is the podcast where I talk to experienced thru-hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a thru-hike. Today's guest is tough, known off-trail as Sarah Williams. She set out in 2017 to hike the Appalachian Trail in 100 days. Vlogging daily, she recorded honestly the entire journey, the glorious, the difficult, and everything in between. In this episode, we talk about the many challenges, overcoming hiker hunger, staying on track when the miles don't seem to be adding up, and remaining grateful. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com, where you can also find show notes, photos, and links for any gear mentioned in this podcast. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Tuff. So well, so well. When did you, because you started the Tough Girl Challenges podcast a couple years ago. Yep. So Tough Girl Challenges is more like, it's like, it's like it encompasses everything. So toughgirlchallenges.com encompasses the blog, the podcast, the books, the website, and then the Tough Girl podcast that was started on the 4th of August, 2015. 2015. Wow. Okay. So um, this year will be the fourth, four year, four year anniversary on the 4th of August. Yeah. Wow. Impressive. Thank you. <laughs> Did starting the podcast come out of, because I, in doing a little research on you, I've noticed that you, you like to challenge yourself. Surprise, surprise. Mm-hmm. But you specifically set yourself up for challenges, for like massive challenges each, kind of each year. Did those come out of doing the podcast or did the podcast come out of doing that? So the podcast, uh, no, the challenges came first. So I, to launch Tough Girl Challenges, I did the Marathon de Saab, so six marathons in six days across the Sahara, de- Sahara Desert. Then I do motivational speaking in schools, and I wasn't having the impact I was wanting with the blog, so I wasn't reaching that many people with the blog. And I, I thought, well, let's try the podcast. And so I had a good friend who said, why don't you try the, the podcast as a medium? It's a, it's a great way to communicate. And that's what I started doing. And then it's just something I've been really consistent with. And it's sort of evolved and, and grown a lot over time. But then obviously, if I'm, I'm interviewing all these women and I'm talking, when I go, go into girls' schools to talk about motivation and challenging yourself, then obviously you can't just talk the talk. You've actually got to be able to walk the walk, et cetera. Um, and, you know, it's stuff that I love doing. I enjoy getting out there and doing these physical challenges. So it all sort of came came together, really. What was your first challenge? Uh, it depends how far back you want to go. Uh, possibly 
doing like London Marathon would be one of the big ones. So running London, which I did in, I think, 2007, 2008. But I did that five times. So (laughs) ran that from 25 every year until I was 30. But then the first big challenge would probably be Kilimanjaro in 2013. Um, And then I suppose then it would be then it would be the Marathon de Saabs then the Appalachian Trail. And then my most recent challenge, cycling Pacific Coast Highway in Baja, California. Mm-hmm. I saw that. So it, it sounds like, yeah, the AT is just an extension of that, basically. Yeah, it sort of evolved. So after planning, um, eight, well, you know, training up for 18 months to do the Marathon de Sars, and it was over within a week, it was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Then for my next thing, I thought I want to do slightly less training but more have a longer challenge so I get more enjoy because I love it when I'm out there so I wanted a longer experience and so doing something like a through hike just worked out really really well basically yeah you know a longer challenge so that was pretty cool but you set yourself a fairly aggressive oh in terms of yeah doing it in 100 days yeah doing it in 100 days yeah well it was how it came about was I through through my business I wasn't it wasn't going to be feasible for me to take five and a half six months off I also knew that I was going to be going back to university in the October so I needed to finish in September and then my my birthday's in September September the 10th so I thought oh well that's quite nice that, that can be my finishing date and then I started thinking how can I preload content for five six months and I just didn't think it would be possible and then I heard about a guy who'd done it the year before me I think his name is Bigfoot and he'd done it mm-hmm. in 100 days and I was like oh, well, if he's done it 100 days, I wonder <laughs> why can't I do it in 100 days? And equally as well, like through hiking, doing a through hike of five and a half, six months, that wouldn't have, I don't mean this, this isn't, doesn't mean to sound, like, sound arrogant, but it wouldn't have been that big a physical challenge for me. I would. I knew without a doubt that I would be able to do it. it I, I would complete okay. that. I don't want to say quite easily, but it wouldn't have stretched me physically just to do a gentle hike on the Appalachian Trail. But by putting a time pressure on doing it in 100 days, that then, you know, when you get those nerves in your stomach and, you, and you're like, can I do this? That's yeah. when I started to get that feeling of like nervous anticipation. Is this going to be possible? Am I going to make it? Can I do it? What do I need to do to in order to do it on that sort of like specific, mm-hmm. um, on that specific time frame, basically? So, yes, yeah, so 100 days, pretty aggressive physically incredibly challenged start you know started on june 3rd finished on 10th of september i put on a stone of weight before i even started to you know prepare my body for it i lost that by the halfway point and then lost a further stone in weight by the time i'd finished um i vlogged it every single day as well so we can actually watch the journey on youtube which i think is pretty interesting partly because i think a lot of people only show the beautiful views and the sunsets and like the good side of they talk a, a lot about trail life and you know that the people mm-hmm. you meet and the, and the food and the animals and the wildlife but sometimes people seem to skip the days where it's raining every day or your socks and shoes are wet or when you've got a blister or um you've slipped and fallen in the mud or you've got lost on the trail or you know you've run out of food you've run out of water or you've got um you know you've been sick or, or all these sorts of things so for me it, it's very important that I'm transparent and truthful and honest about what my experience was like because I wanted to share I wanted to share the clarity the high points and the low points you know what it was actually like for me so it was great to be able to vlog it and to, to share that with other people yeah I was was watching some of them last night actually and your your vision of it or you know it it was was interesting because it 
you know, you were starting off pretty calmly, but then as the, as the day shortened and the length of, t- uh, the distance didn't equally shorten what you were expecting, like the, the pressure seemed to loom and just, it was sort of following you up the trail. How- oh, huge amount. Yeah. <laughs> How was that? Do you know, it was a massive lesson for me, um, massive, massive learning curve. So for me, previously, I've always been, I'm, I am a very goal-driven person, so I like mm-hmm. having goals, something to aim towards. But for example, when I finished Marathon de Saves and I got the, that, the medal around my neck, I literally took one a minute to enjoy it. And then I was like, right, what's next? And so for me on the Appalachian Trail, it was teaching me to appreciate the journey that's mm-hmm. what I needed to appreciate because it wasn't, it's not just getting to the summit. It's not just the final two meters. It's not just putting your hand on the sign at the top. That's not yeah. completing the challenge, even though it is, it's everything that goes into it. So actually for me, going through the experience of, um, of feeling like a failure every day, of feeling behind, of feeling as though I'm never making any progress, as though I'm never going to get there, I'm never going to achieve that goal, which happens in everyday life. But people quit because it's easy to quit in, you know, in everyday life if you're not if you're not liking it. But when you're physically out there doing something that, you know, I set my challenge, I set the the time frame and the deadline. It was a massive, massive learning curve for me to even when I didn't feel like getting up in the morning, I had to get up and I had to put the work in every single day to make it happen. And I had to you know, make the best of every day and the best of every situation. And I had to embrace my emotions that, you know, the, the good bits and the bad mm-hmm. bits. And so it was an incredible personal journey as well as a, a physical journey. Definitely. Yeah. And it seems like, again, like you were talking about preparing for the six marathons, six days where it's six days and it's over versus this where you know, a hundred days, whether you're talking three months, whether you're talking six months, you're sitting in it. Like you're, and, and because you're hiking all day, you're just kind of stewing there. Uh, you have nothing else to think about. You have nothing else to, to contemplate on. So you can't really escape that process, I guess. Yes. I'm not sure what you're asking. Basically what I'm asking is when you, when you went through that learning curve, I mean, there was, there is obviously the process of acceptance of the failure and the feeling behind and, and all of that. But could you also, while you were out there, process what was happening and what you were learning from that? And, and that, you know, even though you were feeling this way, you're, you know, you're still getting up and you're still doing what you needed to do in order to try to make it to accomplish it which you ended up doing at the end of the day yeah like I think you yeah you do you do you can process a lot when you're on the trail but I think sometimes those lessons don't necessarily you don't necessarily learn them until you're away from the trail and Mm -hmm. then you're that's when they come into when you for example when you enter other situations so if I compare it to other areas of my life so I can compare it say to doing the podcast and thinking oh my you know my podcast isn't growing as much as I want it want it to be then I'll think back to the trail and think well you've still got to put in the work every single day or you know sometimes I'd wake up in the morning and you know I started back at university I'm thinking I don't want to go and read these read these academic papers I'm you know I'm just not in the mood to spend 
uh, you know, the hours and hours it's going to take me to do this work. And I'd come back to the Appalachian Trail and be and know that actually I had to do, I had to take those small steps every single day. I had to keep putting in the work every single day. And I've definitely applied that to, to my life and also even just the, the journey, the appreciating the journey that I'm on. It's not just about these, these, these moments, these little high points which pop up every once in a while when you accomplish a goal. It's actually, do you know what? Let's just enjoy life and the journey that, that we're on. And I've really taken that away. So definitely. Yeah. Well, it also feels like, cause then you went on to do the PCH, uh, yeah, the PCH, Pacific Coast Highway. So you started focusing on longer goals, longer challenges. I just like being away and traveling. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. You, you had, you mentioned previously about the weight, um, for reference, because a, a stone weight is such a British term. What does that actually translate to either, either in, in pounds or even in kilograms? It, uh, it would, I think it is the, oh, I might have to Google it. I, it's, is it 12 pounds or something like that? Okay. 12 pounds Let, I, will fi- I will find out uh let's just see one stone in kilograms uh so it's 6.3 kilograms so yeah it's about 12 12 to 15 something like that yeah 12 yeah i think yeah it's about 14 14 pounds something like that yeah it was it was quite it was quite a lot of weight <laughs> yeah that i ended up losing yeah but actually this was actually one of my my concerns and one of the things that i was very aware of before i even started the trail Mm-hmm. Um, because I sort of wrote down like what my fears were going to be. And one of them was to do with, um, with maintaining my weight. I was very, very conscious of how much, uh, due to the amount of physical exercise I was going to be doing due to the calorie restrictions in terms of, uh, where I get my resupply and also being only be able to carry so much weight. I knew mm-hmm. that was going to impact me. And so that's why I did put on weight before I even started the trail. So I had the excess to lose. But I didn't think that I would get as lean or as skinny as I got towards the towards the end because I was just sort of skin and bones towards the end. Like my hip bones at the back were sticking out by about an inch and a half. <laughs> and then that's purely because I just I could not consume enough. Everyone's telling me to eat more. And it's like all I do is eat constantly. Yeah. But your what happens, your belly actually shrinks. So you, you can't eat as much as you'd like to. So you're also, you're eating sort of smaller meals more frequently. And it's just you, when you're burning that much, you are you, you're always going to be in deficit. There's no way to to stop mm-hmm. that, really. So yeah. Did you find you essentially were grazing all day, basically? All day, all day, constantly eating snacks and Snickers and bars and protein bars and yeah, sweets and gels and everything like that. Whatever you could get your hands on. Whatever I can get my hands on, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> were you? resupplied just in the stores or did you send yourself boxes or no just resupplied in stores so I didn't do any of the boxes purely because if I'd sent a box onto myself and I missed a deadline I wouldn't Mm -hmm. have been able to to wait so say like the post office shut at five o'clock and I got there at ten past five on a Friday and it didn't open till Monday I couldn't have stopped for two days that would just completely derail me so my purpose was to stay on trail as much as possible and resupply going through the towns or at the garages along the way, the closest resupply points basically that I could, that I could do. Right. Which basically meant that you were, you were dependent upon whatever that they were selling. Correct. So if you go, if you go into a garage, yeah. It's, it's all just, over the place. Yeah. Yeah. 
I was not eating. I was not. I was not eating. I, I initially, when I started, I wanted to. To I. I generally follow like a low carb diet, so I'm very like high fat, high protein, um, <laughs> very very low carb, and I wanted to try and do that on the trail. And so you know, having like my snacks would always be like nuts and stuff, for example, mm-hmm. like that. But it just was not possible with the food selection; just wasn't available there for me and so it was just a question of do you know what it's whatever I can buy whatever I have an option um yeah and just uh you know make make the best of out of it as make the best out of the situation that I possibly could did you have a stove or were you kind of cold no, soaking? I was stoveless. Yeah. That doesn't really bother me though, because I don't, I don't cook at all. So uh, <laughs> even when I, even when I'm at home, unless I have somebody cooking for me, I would just probably eat like scrambled eggs on toast or just some, you know, something really, or something with mm. avocado. But yeah, so going stoveless wouldn't, doesn't bother me. I don't have hot, I don't like hot drinks either. So I don't sort of wake up in the morning needing like a coffee, which a lot of people do. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've heard that repeatedly. Yeah. So I just, yeah, I wanted light, lightweight. So no stove. I mean, if I wanted, you know, halfway through, I could have changed it if I wanted to, but it wasn't impacting me. Like I was, I was so physically tired by the end of the day, the thought of having to cook or spend time even boiling water to, to put, I know that sounds really lazy, but (laughs) I'd rather just rip open a bar and eat. Like that's how quickly I wanted to eat. So yeah. Right. So it doesn't sound like you were cold soaking either. What is cold soaking? Uh, so, well, that that kind of answers the question. But essentially, it's either using like a Talenti jar or a Ziploc, uh, like a gallon Ziploc, and putting things like top uh, ramen or instant mashed potatoes or something like that in there, water, letting it soak, and essentially uh, through the soaking of the water into the into the product, that is that is your meal essentially. I mean, I'd have, I'd have, uh, I'd have, I'd eat the mashed potato with the water, but I'd never let it soak. Like it will go and mix it together and, and shovel it, it in with some tuna. Yeah, eat it immediately. Yeah, that's probably the most amount of cooking I did on the Appalachian Trail, adding cold water to mashed potato. <laughs> are, are, is there any food that you just cannot look at anymore? Like you, you cannot eat. Uh, no, like I. After I finished the trail, I struggled to look at tuna. I'm not going to lie because I was eating. Sometimes I was having to eat tuna for like my breakfast, lunch, dinner just to get mm-hmm. my protein levels up. Snickers were also losing their their flavor of the month because like one morning for breakfast, I had like five, twi- five, five Snickers for breakfast. But then I also <laughs> did find like Snicker ice cream and that's still like one of my most favorite things I've ever found. But no, I'm, pr- I'm, pr- I'm no, I can, I can still eat everything. I'm, yeah, I'm good. So you, when you went and did the PCH, were you doing kind of the same? No, that was, so Pacific Coast Highway was completely different really because just because, um, I didn't have weight restrictions because I was, so I was on a bike, I was, you know, cycling down. So no weight restrictions. I still didn't have a stove, but it was a lot easier to resupply because there's, you know, much more towns Mm because you're you're cycling down a main road. So there was also no time pressure for me. So it was very, it was very, I mean, there were, I, I had a flight out of Mexico, so well, Cabo San Lucas in Mexico, so I had a, a deadline to get down there, but that was like three months away. So um, I had more than enough time. So it was very, a very different type of challenge. So definitely no time pressure. Much, much more civilized, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> you could relax and enjoy yourself. Yeah, exactly. I still enjoyed myself on the Appalachian Trail. I just no, no chance for relaxing, really. Yeah. I was watching one of your videos, and you were talking about epic the food brand Epic, was it Epic 
maybe they did epic bars and then there was a like a cheese beef jerky or somebody something combo or what have you. Does that ring any bells? Uh no. They uh they might they might just be I think they might have just been like the protein bars, like animal protein bars from yeah. memory. Okay. Yeah. How are those? What are those? I I've not really Oh, it's just like, like it would just be like meat protein bars. So it would be like uh like chicken, avocado and herbs or something all together. Okay. So it would just be like uh, um a meat a meat protein bar instead of like a chocolate protein bar. Mm-hmm. I think that's the easiest way to possibly describe it. As opposed to a, um, something that's out of like whey protein as opposed to animal product type of thing. Yeah. So like, so, you know, so normally if you say like, well, if I say like protein bars, I mean like, uh, like there's probably the sweeter ones, you know, like the chocolate mm-hmm. caramel protein bars. And then these protein bars are like animal processed protein bars. Right. So they're like, they're basically like jer- beef jerky or something like that. or like, okay. um, the bacon just right. in a bar. Yeah. <laughs> Bacon in a bar. Hmm. Uh, were you able to find those along the trail pretty easily, pretty uh, regularly? Not, not that easily. Sometimes, if they were there in the shops, I'd sometimes buy them. But you also have to take into account the the the, fi- the financial side of things. I was on a very, very tight budget, mm. and so sometimes you get like higher, you get better quality food, say from like the Epic bars, mm-hmm. than you're going to get from like a protein bar, uh, like the chocolatey ones. Uh, but sometimes it also, it comes down to the cost and the amount of calories. And so some of the other bars, which have more of the sugar and the processed stuff do actually have a higher calorie calorie content. But then the other bars, like the animal bars will have a higher sort of fat con fat content. Mm -hmm. Um, and they'll have less of the processed sugars, which is generally would be better for you and what I'd prefer to eat, but they're also a lot more expensive. So you've got to balance that out as well. Do you think, cause I saw that, let me circle back for a second. Okay. I I saw a number of times you were commenting on your in your vlogs uh that you had run out of food or that you were down to I think one time you said like I'm down to my last five bars and I've got to get X number of miles and and what have you. Was that a an ongoing problem for you? Being able to carry enough fast enough, going fast enough and so forth? Yes, that 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 was yeah, that that would that was one of the problems. So I try, you know, I'd obviously I'd eat while I was there and then load up as much as I possibly could your hiker hunger towards the end like even like my final 50 days Mm -hmm. was insatiable like I even sometimes I'd be meeting people and they give me food and it would just go like I could just (laughs) I would just eat constantly it's it's something uh it's actually took me a long time after I left the trail to sort of get that control back because my body was just screaming out for food and calories and anything really it was also like there'd be certain instances where i would say arrive in the night and they if they didn't have resupply right there in the hostel then there wouldn't be say a ride into town to get resupply until the following morning at say 11 o'clock and so if i took that shuttle into town i'm then not getting back until to the hostel until you know 12 one o'clock that's a whole morning gone so instead i'd just find what's left in the hiker food boxes in the hostels mm-hmm. to take as added extra and you know do the best that I can I, I always oh, do the wow. best I, yeah and sometimes I did get to places where I was expecting there to be a resu- like a some a place to be open for me to get food and it will be closed and then you're literally just like this is not this is not great but then there's no other options in those circumstances but to carry on carry on walking and I'm very um sometimes I'm very pragmatic it's a case of well do you know what I've eaten my food I can I'm I through, through the marathon de Saabs, I mean, I always 
uh, train on an empty stomach anyway. I know how far I can go on an empty on an empty stomach. I know how far mm-hmm. I can go without heating, and it's more more of like a psychological thing than anything else. So I've done it before, so I know that I can do it again. It's just it's not necessarily a pleasant thing to do, but it, it keeps you motivated, and it's not <laughs> something I'd obviously recommend other people to do. But in those situations, it's a case of well, um, you know, sometimes I'd arrive at places and I'd be like, oh crap, I've only got so much food, and I try and. Uh, ration it out and then I'd be like oh I just end up all eating it all in one go I did that quite a few times so I had like no willpower or control Um, and sometimes to be honest sometimes I did miscalculate I was like you know I put my create my bags of food and think yep this will last me for for three days and it only lasted me for two and that's like hmm okay another another learning opportunity yeah (laughs) learning opportunity I love it yeah did you find yourself consuming more and more or wanting, needing to consume more and more calories as you went along or was your calorie intake pretty consistent or you got to a point where you just, you couldn't consume any more calories. You just couldn't force any more food down yourself. Yeah. The final 30 days, I, I, I was eating constantly all the time. Like there was, it wasn't a case of me not wanting to eat and or what not wanting to eat or not being able to eat. I just couldn't get enough food in me. And it's actually very difficult, uh, especially when your stomach gets a little bit smaller, mm-hmm. to to keep to continue eating all the all the time. It's it's a hard thing to do even though you want to and you are so hungry. It's it's really it's really difficult to explain until you've actually experienced like hiker hunger and um mm-hmm. and just literally your body screaming out for for anything that you can eat. But I was, you know, I was pretty that was fine for like the first, I say, two three weeks. Like then after that, you know, you do start to consume more and more and more. Um, and then I think when you start seeing more dramatic weight loss, that's when you're like, wow, I really need to take this up a notch. But it, it's a challenge. It is hard. It is hard to do. Mm-hmm. But I would say as well, is everybody is different. So you know, everybody's different people are going to react in different ways and so this is obviously just my experience and also because I was doing it on under such a a time pressure as well that's why I had that impact on on me but there's also other people who've done it faster than me who haven't you know haven't had the same problems etc but then they've maybe been supported so everybody reacts differently it just you know your body burns calories and everything else at different rates so there's a lot of variables yeah but hiker hunger is in the lexicon for through hiking. So, oh, yeah. you know, obviously a lot of people have the issue. Oh, and, yeah. um, I don't know if you did when, when you went into towns, did you have the opportunity to go into a restaurant and just sort of do the all you can eat version of, of resupply? <laughs> I, yeah. When that option was available to me, I would do, I mean, I did, I've, I would go in and sometimes I'd have like two main meals with the chips and the, you know, I was trying to drink calories as well. So it'd be like, yeah, the full fat Coke. I definitely want the the triple layer pancakes and all oh, of this <laughs> making me so happy. And, you know, yeah, I want the ice cream on top and the crispy bacon and the sides of this, this and this. Um, yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd be constantly eating. Yeah, it was great. Also, that does also end up getting more expensive as well. So I try when I get in yeah. to try and eat the like the supermarket food. Um, but I'd still go in for say like a big burger and fries and everything else, like my evening, evening meal. If I was, if I was there. Yeah. There was again, referencing your vlogs, there was a reference that you made about some woman, uh, seeing what you were eating or whatever and judging or, or making oh a comment. I, still, I know exactly. So yeah, I'd be, yeah, I, I was looking very, 
lean. I, so, Barry, I'm five foot eight, and I, I, I was very, I was probably like, you know, size six. I was physically, I was tiny. And mm-hmm. I was doing a resupply, and what's that? Pa- is it Poundland or Pound Shop or uh, Pound Store? Okay. Is that Pound Store or, or, or Money Store or something like uh, the dollar? Sorry, dollar, dollar, dollar General. Dollar, or dollar, dollar General, that's the one. Pound <laughs> Store. Yeah, Dollar General. And I picked up, you know, like 10 or 12 Snickers. And this woman walked past me and basically said, don't get fat. And I was too slow to be able to, to like look or to respond. But I always think the interesting thing is how one person, one woman who I had, you know, I quite, this older lady made, looked at me and uh, judged me and, you know, said, don't get fat. Mm-hmm. Probably joking and all things, but I, you know, just like, probably the most rudest thing you could say to somebody about hey you should never you should never comment on somebody's weight appearance especially because you don't know them and you know i'm i'm also very very you know i'm good with myself i know what what looks healthy on me mm-hmm. but for other people who may be not in that situation psychologically that can really impact them because i was i was thinking about that all day until i spoke to the camera about it and had to literally get it off my chest and get it out of my head because um because oh yeah, that was awful. I still think about it now occasionally. This one woman's comment, and and like I know I look I look fine now. But we what does and well what happened for me specifically is I ended up having some like definitely had some like body dysmorphia because I was mm-hmm. I, I went so I was a very healthy say UK size ten strong fit healthy mm-hmm. good weight height ratio everything else like that. And then I went supremely skinny and absolutely tiny. Like I had you know muscle muscle wastage but I was that tiny for maybe seven months so you know the final month on the trail and it took me a good six months to to put the weight back on but when I'm looking at myself in the mirror and I'm I'm back to say my normal weight and size to me I looked ginormous like because yeah. I, I wasn't used to seeing myself this this big and then so it's weird in your head to be able to, to be able to flick the switch and be like no no no, you're back this is what normal looks like what you were before was extremely not okay um yeah but yeah no one comment on other people's bodies (laughs) (laughs) not okay (laughs) well what's so interesting also about that comment though is particularly for you at that moment you know you had lost a lot of weight so it wasn't like you were even on the softer or the chunkier or the whatever side like you were really skinny at that point and and for somebody to comment about possibly getting fat seems Mm. crazy yeah I agree I totally agree I wish I'd had I wish I'd been able to respond and maybe provide and use it as an educational opportunity to explain mm-hmm. why you should never say that to people and <laughs> but um yeah I didn't have that didn't have that opportunity yeah it's it's so interesting and it feels not to get off topic of the AT or yeah AT but it feels like people feel that they have permission to comment about these things um more and more um and probably through social media and whatever which I think probably everybody would love to say, just back yourself up and <laughs> move on. But it's also, you know, people actually have a lot of comments about, well, 
you know, comments about the time I did the hike in, you know, people mm-hmm. judging and commenting. It's, I mean, is it too fast? Uh, you, you know, that's like, is, can you enjoy the Appalachian Trail if you do it in 100 days? You know, would it be, not be better to do 115, 120? Because there is, there is no perfect length or perfect time to do the Appalachian Trail in. It's purely what you know what's going to work for you because when I was out on the trail I was actually speaking to a lot of other women doing the trail I was doing interviewing spending time interviewing them just mm-hmm. doing little quick clips for a video women of the Appalachian Trail and there were women who'd been going out to the Appalachian Trail for over 12 years and doing section hikes of it you know there's been other people who you'd only be able to get three months out of the year and taking their time you've got people who walk the trail in you know nine months other people who do it in 46 days so there's a whole spectrum of time that it takes but I think it's interesting that people put their own perspective and judgment on you for doing what you do and that's when you've got to really be very strong internally just to be like hey I'm good with me I'm good with my choices I know what works for me whether how long I hike the acclimation trail or or what I weigh or what I eat um, and sometimes you've just got to be able to ignore people and their comments um, you know it's like it's like hiking gear there's you know there's so much you know there's <laughs> That's you know, there's so much debate about what's the best hiking gear, what's the best food, what's the best way to do it all. And actually, the the only right answer is the best way is what's the best way for you. Like everybody's different, you know, and it's about making those unique choices for you and just picking and choosing what works. I, I think that's that's the hardest thing to do, though. You know, just just be okay with your choices. Yeah, but I think you you can do it. You can work hard at it. And so then actually you get to this place and, you know, I'm definitely not perfect at it, but I definitely feel I know I know what is best for me and my body now. Like, I, I honestly, I really, really do. But it's, you know, but, but I've also put my body under extreme conditions through the variety yeah. of different challenges that I've done. So I have learned things along the way. But I've also gotten to that place now where I'm very comfortable just thanking people you know when they give me advice <laughs> so I'm like, oh thank you you know thank you very much oh you should be doing this oh thank you I'll, you know I'll think about it obviously I'm not but it's just um you know it's another way to to deal with their to deal with their thoughts it's equally when you know you, the, another comparison I say is talking about fears so when people say oh you know I'm going to go and through height depilation trail and you can tell a friend or a family member and they can come back and say well aren't you scared or what about the bears or what if you get lost or oh my god I could never do that and it's how you handle their fears when they're putting them back on you like oh aren't you worried about x y and z and so i've i've got this point when people make comments like that to me it's nothing at all to do with me that's them telling me what their fears are and so it sometimes you've got to just be real take yourself out of the situation just like it's nothing to do with me that's just that's just them that's their that's their life and um I think that's very empowering when you know that and you're just like, yeah, I'm, I'm good with me. I live with myself. I live in my body all the time. I'm good with me. So, yeah. What were your fears going out there? Uh, fears I had were, were bears, was the weight thing, mm-hmm. uh, fear of not making it. Um, and I think then it was also the fears, not, I wouldn't say it's fears, but I should, you know, the things which are outside of my control. Um, and I go back and forth over those fears because I know I've got no control over them. So therefore there's no mm-hmm. point having fear over them, but sometimes they are just there in, in the back of your mind, basically, I would say. So, um, yeah, like the bears and the wildlife, you know what, but what I did, I did, I, I actually did this great thing, um, for, for myself before I started something called the what if, and I wrote down all of my fears. What if I fail? What if I run out of water? 
what if I uh, what if I lose my tent? What if I get lost? What if I uh, get my my what if my bag gets stolen? All of these fears, and I also I reached out to my community, the Tough Girl Tribe, and I asked them, you know, what fear? What are the fears? And I wrote them all down on this piece of paper or in the spreadsheet on the left hand side. And then on the right-hand side, I went through all of these fears logically. So what happens, you know, what happens if you run out of water, for example? Okay, I can carry on finding, I can find out where the next water source is and carry on walking. I can go back on myself to find the closest water source. I can mm-hmm. ask other people on the trail to if I can get water. I can drink out of X, Y, and Z. Um, I can make sure that I plan and prepare. So it's like, okay, so that's not that big a fear. What if my, you know, what if I get a hole in my tent, for example? Okay, well, well, how can I fix it? Okay, so I could have spare material for my tent. Okay, I could carry some duct tape. Okay, the worst comes to the worst. Um, I, I would need to buy a replacement tent. Um, oh, I could also reach out to the tent owners and manufacturers and see if they would replace my tent for me for free. So you can literally logically sit down and go through a lot of the, the fears that you'll have. Now, it, this process is not going to answer every every fear every what if because otherwise it's not going to be an adventure because it's mm-hmm. dealing with the unexpected which is what makes it an adventure what makes it a challenge but it can help to alleviate some of the worries that you have your friends and family who are worried about you okay do you want to put a tracker either on your iphone do you want to carry a spot tracker so they can see where you are um you know do you want to share that with other people or not share that with other people what would the benefits be what would the cost be how do you how do you work that out how do you deal with bears? Okay, well, let's Google. How do I handle the bears? Oh, okay. Where are the bears? Oh, okay. So the bears are only found in these places. Okay, this is what I need to do with my food. This is how I need to behave. You know, though, And you can do that in your safe environments so that when you get out onto the trail and it happens to you, you're like, okay, I just need to make some noise with my poles. I need to back away here. I need to give the bears their space. Okay, right. They've passed. There's enough room. Right, let's walk past, you know, nice and nice and sensibly and calmly. So I think that could, that helps massively being able to do that. In doing that, you're basically doing a version of visualization. Yes. You know, so you're running through different scenarios, options and stuff like that. Yep. Did you find yourself then on the trail being able to pull those? I mean, bears, rattlesnakes and stuff like that are a little simpler per se, but you did run out of water at a couple of points. You did run out of food. You had a, a rain jacket that was not quite as rainproof as it could have been. <laughs> yeah. Did you find yourself being able to to draw on those visualizations fairly easily? Or was it you got into your head for a second and then were able to calm down and, and do what you needed to do? Pretty much I was able to draw on those situations. Then is also very very powerful. So I was I was up in the White Mountains and the fog was starting to come in and it was very starting to it was starting to go dark. Uh, the fog was starting to come in and I still had like another three miles to go. I definitely I underestimated how far I'd be able to to move in the White Mountains because it's obviously so much steeper and so much more challenging. And in that situation at the very top of the White Mountains, for me then it was a case of I needed to tell myself, Sarah, you need to stop, you need to breathe, you need to keep calm, you need to take a couple of deep breaths we can figure this out. And, but that's also something I know taking deep breaths, that's going to increase my oxygen going to my brain. It's going to calm, you know, calm my heart rate down. And then I can then focus. I also know as well, panicking doesn't do anything. So that's a complete and utter waste of time. So it's all about for me. So in my head, it's I'm repeating over and over again, 
right, stay calm, stay focused. What does, what's the next thing I need to do? Okay, let's find the next can. Right, find the next can. Stay focused, stay calm, find the next can. Keep walking. You're on the right. Right, okay, we're heading in the right direction. We're going, you know, doing that in my head. So basically trying to keep a very tight rein, especially in very, I don't want to say dangerous, but, you know, very nerve-wracking situations when you are on, ex- on an exposed rock face in the middle of the, the wilderness and top of the white <laughs> mountains and you don't have the correct gear for you know for that level you know especially with my my duct tape waterproof jacket <laughs> it wasn't going to protect me from from anything so um that's actually a huge part of it as well but I think having gone through all those situations previously there was a lot to, there was a lot to draw on um and then being able to combine the two so just mentally staying calm taking those deep breaths and then working through the problem being logical about the problem or the situation that I was in Mm -hmm. yeah being able to get to get over quickly get over the the adrenaline rush that you're always going to get from that moment Mm -hmm. basically um did you travel with any sort of trail family or or any people consistently no Okay. So I, at the very, very start, like <laughs> I would be, I'd be chatting to people and I remember, I think I'd only gone for like seven days and I was chatting to someone on the Appalachian Trail and he asked me, I said, wait, oh, when did you start? And I was like, oh, third of June. And he was like, he, he started three months ago and it was, <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm not joking, but you know, people get sucked into vortexes and this yep. is, I think is actually, yes, I had a very tight deadline and had a goal of when I wanted to finish. If you don't necessarily have a goal, then what's to keep you moving forward? Like, I think you, there needs to be some sort of approximate time frame or there needs to be some smaller goals along the way on the trail. Equally, like later on towards the trail, um, I'd be speaking with people. I'd just arrive at, say, a campsite and be like, oh, where have you traveled from today? And I'd sit and I'd tell them and they would be like, oh, we were there three days ago because they were doing like, you know, 10 mile days and I was doing mm-hmm. a 30 mile day. So um, it was very it was very difficult to I didn't have a trail family. I did. I there may have been like four or five days when I crisscrossed with a couple of people. Um, but then, then I was just moving at such a pace that, you know, they decided to take a rest day in a town. I'm yeah. then suddenly, I'm then 20 miles, 20 miles ahead to 40 miles, etc. So yeah, so I sort of didn't really have that experience. Did you get a trail name out there? Well, I sort of like named myself. So okay. I, 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 I was just because also I didn't necessarily want to have loads of names because I've already got so my name Sarah, and then I have a I have a nickname from university called Willsey, and then because so I didn't really want to have like third name if that makes any sense. So in the end, it was just like I just sort of said tough, like I didn't want a tough girl, so it was just tough. So T O U G H, and yeah, that was that was it. I probably preferred Sarah to be honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because when you were coming into hostels and, and bunk, bunk rooms and stuff like that, you seem to not be sharing them with many people. Was that, but you also started fairly late in the season. So were you, was it just because, I don't even know, I guess I shouldn't even assume. What, what do you think was that reason that you had so much many rooms and stuff like that to yourself? I, I mean, possibly the the possibly the se- the time of season that I was doing it. Equally, that I was I was there was there was 
always people in like the rooms. I think, I mean, I occasionally didn't have rooms or, I mean, actually, no, you're right. I did have occasional situations where there weren't other people, but also I wasn't necessarily filming other people just because uh, it wasn't, it's, if that's right. on the vlogs and stuff, just because some people, I'm, I would always ask people if they wanted to be filmed, if they didn't want to be filmed. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And so it's always, for me, it's trying to be respectful of, of other people who maybe didn't want to be, have their life on social media. <laughs> I'll put up onto it. Why? Put up onto, put up onto YouTube. Um, but no, there was always, there was always, uh, there, there was people there. There was, I was meeting a lot of people still. Yeah. Did, were you meeting people on the trail from all over the place or was it primarily from the States or? I said a lot of people from the States. Yeah. I think, I think, yeah, I think, I think everyone was from the States, maybe apart from like, I met two British people, uh, three British, yeah, two British people. But generally, yeah, generally very high percentage from the States. And there was like one German, I think, or something like that. Not that many okay. people from um, from further afield, no. Okay. How did you hear about the AT? Do you know, that is a great question. And I'm not sure how I how I heard about it. But through doing the podcast, through interviewing incredible women, so I'd... Um, I interviewed uh, Jessica Dixie Mills uh, mm-hmm. uh, from Homemade Wonderlust. Yeah. So she completed the AT in 2015, I believe. And I spoke to her maybe in 2015 or early 2016. But I can't remember if I'd heard about the trail before then. Um, it might have just it might have just come up in research. I, mean, I definitely didn't know about this in my, you know, my early 20s. So um, I think as I slowly got into the adventure world, it started to become, I heard about these long distance hiking trails. And it was just something I didn't even realize that it was a thing and that people did it. And there were these amazing trails and there was three of them in America. We did all three, you got the triple crown. So yeah, I think, uh, so I don't know. It just, I think it's just the more I spent time speaking with these incredible women and, and learning about their stories, it just sort of, you know, came up through social media (laughs) love me some social media yeah did you so so maybe talking with Dixie sort of planted the idea and then you did the marathons and you were looking for something longer and did that kind of become a natural progression yeah absolutely so I finished um I did the Marathon de Saabs in 2016, April 2016, and then I was back in the back in the UK, and um, I was start, I was starting to think about the 2017 challenge and, and what I wanted to do, and and I also do you know doing my masters, so I knew I needed to finish in September, but then I also I like being in hot places, and so I definitely wanted to be abroad and you know somewhere hot, and try and avoid the rain. I, I probably good luck with some, that. Yep, should have done some more research, and um, yeah, it just it just ended up fitting in very nicely with my time frame and what I had available. And so I think I'd already decided by the end of 2016, because the very beginning of January, uh, I went to London in part to get my visa to see if I could get a visa for, you know, a visa for America to give me that, that opportunity and that time frame. because I thought, well, if they say no to my visa, then, um, then there's no point even considering it. But I got the go ahead, got the visa, got my B1, B2 visa, which actually gave me 10 years, which is amazing. So that sort of ticked all the boxes. And after you got the visa, for me, it was a case of booking flights. And I booked, I found a really cheap flight over to Atlanta. And then that was, that was it, really. It was start date was decided, flight was booked, insurance was booked, flight home was booked. And then once you've done those 
those big main things. It then comes down to breaking it down even further into what equipment do I need to get? What else do I need to figure out? Um, start doing, you know, just physically training, doing the mental preparation, mm-hmm. planning my routines for being out on the trail and just getting myself as ready as I could possibly be. And also telling my parents as well. <laughs> <laughs> you hadn't mentioned it to your parents yet? No, I mentioned it after I booked my flight. So um, my parents are lovely and amazing and incredibly supportive, but sometimes they don't really like me going on these big chats. They love me so much. They they just get scared and worried for me. So um, I, yes. yeah. So whenever I tell them what I'm doing, it's always like, oh no, why are you doing this? And all. Um, so I have to manage that and I have to make sure that I'm fully committed and ready and, you know, going to do this. So, yeah. So how did you alleviate their fears? Did you have, did you check in regularly or how did you manage that? Well, to be fair, it was actually quite difficult because, um, a lot of the time I was in the woods with no Wi-Fi and, um, and a lot of the places I was staying, the Wi-Fi was pretty rubbish a lot of the time. So mm-hmm. sometimes I go into the woods for like a week, seven days at a time and wouldn't be able to communicate with them. And I didn't actually have a tracker. So, uh, they, they were worried about me, but I would, you know, I'd WhatsApp them as soon as I could and I'd share where I was and what I was doing. Um, and we'd Skype and FaceTime, you know, when I had, when I had the opportunity basically, um, just depending on time zones and you know what time I'd get into the hostels or what time it was over in the UK. But equally they do know, look, they, they, they know that I can <laughs> you know, look after myself and that I'm going to be absolutely fine. Um, but they're just, you know, they're like any parents for you. They just, they just worry. So, so yeah, I did as best I could. Although I did, there's a, there's a walk we have here on, in the Wirral, which is where I live. It's called the Wirral Way, which is a 20 mile, relatively flat walk. And I basically describe the Appalachian Trail as like, it's just like walking on the Wirral Way, but for 2000 miles instead of 20. And uh, where in reality, it's, you know, the equivalent of going up and down Everest, ridiculous amounts of times. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot more, a lot more mountainous to, to actually do and wasn't really that, that flat. And it, it did rain quite a lot and everything else. But, um, you know, they, they love being able to track me and see, and see where I was and see where I was and, you know, show them, send them photos and all that good stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, you, you kind of undersold the trail, particularly your version of the trail. Oh, massively. But I don't... I, I think I was also maybe a little bit naive as well because I didn't necessarily, I knew the trail would be tough, but I also, one of the things that I like, you know, in terms of research, I don't necessarily research to the ninth degree about the actual experience. So for example, I wouldn't watch through everybody's vlogs every single day Mm -hmm. um, because I wanted there to be surprises for me. So, you know, so I didn't want to necessarily see everything in advance. And so I don't think I necessarily realized how challenging it would be it would be. I mean, I remember having a conversation with my sister and it was like, oh, well, you know, a bit of the trail when it runs through um, New York State, the, the Appalachian Trail passes over a train line. You can literally hop on a train to New York. And I was, and I was saying to Caroline, I was saying, sure, I might be able to do that if I get there, you know, for Friday, I could hop on the train, go to New York for like two days and come back and then carry on the trail. And I'll have, you know, plenty of, I'll have, I'll still have plenty of time to do it. And then it's only when you're out there, you're like, Oh my God, I'm walking 22 miles every day for a hundred days. It's just, you know, three months, nine days. It was, uh, yeah, <laughs> it was quite funny, <laughs> but a little bit naive at the start, but you, you live and you learn. Well, and I, and I, again, kind of watching your, your vlogs, the, the terrain in Georgia, the conditions in Georgia are much different than the, tr- than the conditions when you get up further north where it gets rockier. Um, you also had seem to have a lot of rain. 
you know, the trail was, was running in water. Um, like <laughs> there's no way that you can really, I don't think be prepared for that. You, you can't like <laughs> it is. And also those are things which actually that because they are outside of your control, there's no point actually worrying about them. I mean, there's nothing I can do about the weather at all. All I can control is my, uh, how I feel inside. And so when it's raining, I'd be saying to myself, at least it's not snowing, uh, you know, you know, <laughs> try, trying to remain positive or, you know, when the, when the, uh, when it's lightning and it's like, well, at least it's not raining or, you know, whatever. And try and, um, and tr- try and look on the gratitude and try and look on the joy of being out there and having this experience and how you know blessed yeah. I was to, to, to be out there. Um, but, and also it's coming back to the fact that actually this was a choice I made. This is a choice that I made and you know, you, you've got to live, live with it and actually, yeah, try and find joy in it. So definitely. I, I love how you keep coming back to, this is a choice that I made. I'm sure that there was a, there was at least a moment, if not a couple of moments while you were out there where you were like, why did I make this choice again? Well, I mean, sometimes, but I also thought back, I'd be thinking, do you know what, what I could be doing is, be, you know, before I changed jobs, um, you know, I used to sit in a chair all day for 12 mm-hmm. hours a day, looking at multiple computer screens and having Blackberries going off, phones ringing, um, highly, highly stressed. What would I rather be doing? Would I rather be walking in the woods in this incredible, beautiful environment on this amazing trail with this incredible wildlife and you know, amazing people? Um, or would I rather be sat in an an office surrounded by people I don't really like doing a job I don't really like dealing with rubbish and being stressed out of my brain and and you know and that that was all, that always uh yeah that always, it always made you reflect and be grateful for where you are and what you're doing perspective perspective absolutely perspective <laughs> <laughs> I know you had this you had a a little saying I don't know how often you repeated it to yourself but the no pain or sorry no rain no pain no main <laughs> I think I heard that of somebody else and it really like stuck. And I was like, oh my God, that's so funny. <laughs> it it just made so me perfect. laugh. Yeah, it did fit. Definitely did fit. So you, you booked your flight, you made your choice, you, you figured out what your, what your challenge, your goal was going to be. What did you end up doing gear wise? In, in, t- in what way? Just everything? Uh, yeah. Like in terms of like how you geared yourself up and what you geared yourself up with and, and then I guess the flip side of that is, how did it work for you? Yeah. So um, I was on a, like I've said, I was on a very, very tight budget. I actually didn't. I was having to pay for everything very, very piecemeal. So, for example, um, I was using my sleeping bag, which I'd used for the Marathon de Sabs. I was the only, I had to borrow a tent in the end because I couldn't actually afford to pay for one. So it was coming up like five weeks before and it was like, what am I going to do about it? When I say not afford to pay for, what I mean by that is afford to pay for a light enough tent. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to go super, super lightweight. And obviously, the lighter you go, the more expensive they get. And, yep. you know, the, the tents that I could afford were going to be two pounds, two and a half, three pounds, which was just too heavy. I knew that I needed to be incredibly light when I was uh, when I was walking. So, you know, good friends. I mean, I was sharing my journey as well on my social media and talking to people about what I was buying, why I was buying it. And someone stepped up, a good friend of mine called Ellen, um, who who gave me a uh, who, who lent me her tent, which was incredibly kind of her. I knew I wanted the so 
when it comes to gear, I actually don't get that hung up on gear. I do, I do my research and then I look, I evaluate, I balance out the cost with what's available and I make the best choice I can for me. So for example, with, uh, with my, with my backpack, I went for the green Osprey, like the aura mm-hmm. something, mainly because I saw every, pretty much every woman who does the Appalachian Trail has this backpack. So it's got to be highly, highly rated, highly regarded. But that, for me, that was like 140, 150 pounds. So like $200 or whatever it is. And I can afford to pay for that, pay for that until like four weeks before I went. Equally, I was very aware, you know, I needed to get uh, like walking poles. I wanted to have walking poles. Did my research, found black diamond walking poles, 54 pounds, about $80. Um, Got that. That was pretty, I'm just trying to think, like, the the water system I was going to use I knew that I wanted to have a uh what do you call it when you put it in your mouth uh, <laughs> uh like you know like the platypus thing so like uh yeah a liter and almost a half like a camelback yeah camelback sorry with you know with the tube I wanted yeah. that I, I saw the soya mini filter I thought yeah that's perfect I'll also have a few extra um the water pur- purification tablets mm-hmm. that pretty much it when it comes to gear for trainers I started out with my with my marathon de Saab shoes so I had another pair of them which I knew would get me another 250 300 miles and I'd only have to buy three pairs on the trail so I was already starting out with you know comfortable comfortable shoes I got the Appalachian Trail book the Appalachian Trail companion book for the for that year so I had knew what to expect in terms of resupply and, and refilling um bought my shovel uh lightweight shovel uh i had my i had my lightweight crocs to wear i didn't buy any new um like clothes i just wore the clothes that i already had so i you know i had a gray top to walk in and um some black leggings i got gifted gifted socks to wear so i had like two pairs of socks it's pretty simple really then i just made up my own like first aid kit with you know ibuprofen and um imodium and um you know compede for blisters that that was it really like um I was conscious about weight and what I was carrying so I would be cutting I would be I would be one of these people who was cutting the end off the the toothpaste I'm sorry the tooth toothbrush Toothbrush. and cutting out all the labels inside my clothes I went through my backpack I took off the the brain section Mm -hmm. I cut off any excess straps to make it as as lightweight as um yeah as lightweight as possible really speaking of your first aid kit you had some pretty epic blisters out there. I did. <laughs> yeah. What do you think caused them? Was it just because your feet were so wet? It it was too. It was so. It's, it's it, the blisters were basically like on the sides of my feet. So when you when yeah. you were walking, Ugh. it was the it was the foot. It was your foot sliding because of the terrain and how the foot is moving and the train. The foot was sliding side to side. So it was getting blisters on the side, which I had no, it wasn't like blisters on the heel. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was purely because of, of the train, wet shoes, wet socks, and walking with wet feet for, for 10 hours sometimes. So it did just damage the skin, but it is, it is what it is. And also having no, obviously I'd be, I'd be drying my feet out when I got to, got to camp and when I stopped walking but really they weren't having enough time to necessarily heal like I you know to, to dry out and to yeah to dry the blisters out basically so mm-hmm. they would dry out but as soon as you start walking again as soon as the skin gets wet they end up you know you're back yeah hello I'm back <laughs> yeah <laughs> so what did you do I mean because you couldn't 
stop walking in order to meet your deadline. So what did you do? So you, all you need to do is you keep walking for the first 10 minutes and you, the, the body will be like, I'm in pain. I'm in pain that my feet, my feet, my feet, I'm in pain because of the blisters. After 10 minutes, your body will realize it'll be like, Oh, we're we're walking this is what we're doing and it will switch off those like pain receptors so you won't be feeling it anymore unless you do like a sudden new like if you hit it really hard against the mm-hmm. rock or something so you will get switched off i mean i i pop blisters you know you do you i like a good juicy pop get it out dry it out as much as possible put the compete on put my sock back on carry on walking you don't stop it's a blister um you walk through the pain it it yeah it is what it is you walk through you carry on walking so you didn't put any sort of or well, some of them were pretty large, but you didn't try to put any any sort of uh, Band-Aid or gauze or, or anything like that over it. No, what I would do once I got in to it, once I got set up for the night in the tent and obviously socks come up, I'd get my feet dry and I'd have um, gold. Is it golden bond like the yellow powder? Mm-hmm. It's like gold a- bond. Gold bond. I think that's great. Put that all on. Clean. I'd clean my feet I'd uh, with like a wipe. Um, and then I'd also had the Neosporin and I put that on, um, just over the actual blister and just try and keep it as clean as possible and get my feet as dry as possible. And then wrapped up in, um, nice warm socks. Um, that, that's all I do. Keep it simple. Yeah. What, what else were you doing for self care while you were out there? So I was, um, I was taking supplements. So I was taking, um, electrolyte supplements. Um, the ones I was taking were by a brand called Hammer. I was also taking magnesium. So magnesium is very, very good for, for iron cramps. And I was also taking iron and vitamin C because they work very well together. I've also, I've previously been severely anemic. So I was very conscious of iron. And so long distance runners, you can actually really damage your blood cells by the pounding of your feet. And so through doing the Appalachian Trail, I was expecting to get some more damage to my red blood cells and therefore for that to affect my uh, the iron. So I was taking iron supplements, magnesium supplements, um, electrolytes. Um, the other things that I was doing for self-care, I had some lip balm. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, um, I'd occasionally, I would, I'd, you know, I'd put my feet up in the air when I could. I, that was pretty much it. Like, I don't think there was a huge amount else that I could have been doing. I mean, I, I could, I should have been massaging my feet more, but, um, and stretching, doing more stretches, uh, time and when you're exhausted unfortunately things like that fall away to the wayside so you can go in with the best intentions and know what you should be doing uh, but it became yeah. a case of I just need to my self-care was get warm get dry eat some snickers eat my food brush my teeth get into bed and sleep that was my self-care sleep <laughs> sleep and recover sleep and recover and then do it all again the following day <laughs> yep what were your shoes uh, they were which what whichever ones that I could find which would fit me. So uh, I for for the Appalachian for sorry for the Marathon de Sarves, I went down to a shop in London called Pro Feet and had my feet tested. Um, so you know you go on the, like the running machines and they mm-hmm. give you the specific shoes. So I got specific shoes for that. Uh, so those were the, for the first couple of hundred miles. And then when I got into a town and I needed new shoes, I would just go into the store and be like, "What do you have that fits me?" And then they would find shoes. I'd try them on and. You know, sometimes there'd be lots of choice. Sometimes it would literally be, that's the only shoe that fits me. That's the shoe I'll take. Done. <laughs> yeah. And and you were able to do that without issue, without problem? Yeah, pretty much. Like, yeah. Wow. Like, I, 
I there's something like I can't really stress over it like um mm-hmm. I but also I don't necessarily have like foot problems if that makes sense so I don't I've got I think quite normal normal feet. yeah normal feet so I don't think I've I don't have like extreme arches or definitely need to have a um specific inner sole or or orthodontic or whatever it's called mm-hmm. so I would you know I, I could do that I mean other people um you know they might have only be able to wear one type of shoe for me my feet were actually getting bigger and bigger and bigger because like, they were just constantly swollen so towards the end I was like in men's like 10 and a half uh, oh my god and it would be a struggle to even put my foot in like in the morning because my feet were just so swollen um mm. yeah how long did it take for your feet to all right. Maybe the question, the better question is, did your feet shrink back down? They, they have. I was actually thinking that now. I was thinking, oh yeah, they are back to normal now. I'd say a good eight months after the trail, eight, nine months, maybe, maybe about a year to, yeah, a lo- longer time than you think. Wow. Not to shrink, not, I don't, I don't know now. Um, they're normal now. That's all I know is they're back to normal now. That's all I <laughs> But they were, they were, uh, yeah, they were definitely a lot larger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> did you have any issues? when you doing that much mileage, being that physically active coming off of the trail, did you have any physical issues or, or eating issues or, or even mental issues um, with coming down like that or just kind of stopping? Yes. Um, Well, I, I had to stop. So my, it's quite interesting. So when, when you, when like towards the end, if, when I stopped at say, um, a hostel to sleep uh, for like a night or whatever, it would be like my body was like, oh, we're done. And I would start to crash and mm. um, and I would feel it. And then when I'd start walking, say, the following day, it was so much harder than when I, if I'd slept in a tent. It was just – it was so much harder. Huh. So Because it was like if I was out on a tent and out on the trail, it was, it was fine. But it was, as soon as I got into a nice comfy bed and my, my body would literally go, ah – and then the, your body starts thinking, right, we've, we've got time now to repair all of the damage that's gone mm-hmm. in. And they start focusing on that. And that's when you end up crashing. So previously, obviously, it'll just be like the adrenaline, everything else keeping you going. So when I actually did finish, I was, I was so exhausted. Like I, or I was struggling to walk. I, I had a, I sort of lost, like, I sort of lost my balance. I was incredibly tired. The other thing that was happening, I'd say it's more like a brain fog. So, because when you it's really difficult to describe to people if they haven't experienced this when you are physically so so tired mentally you can't concentrate you can't focus you can't so your capacity to take in information and to retain it and to respond is pretty much gone you've got no uh there's no concentration levels there's nothing there's nothing happening so i would read a text message but i wouldn't be able to respond to the text message because i didn't know what the text message said by the time I finished reading it. So, um, <laughs> yeah, which sounds crazy. So that was, that was incredibly difficult. I, yeah, I did. I needed help walking around. Like, so I would have to link arms with like my mum and stuff if I was walking. Um, I actually really damaged like my left knee, which I wasn't really aware of. So even sitting down, um, I couldn't like sit down properly and, or to get myself up, I need to like, you know, like an old person, they'll put their hand down on the mm-hmm. arm to push themselves up. I needed to use my arms to stand me up because I didn't have the strength in my legs. Walking downstairs was a big problem because of my, my knees and everything. Food, I was still eating everything under the sun for the next four months, I'd say. And then it was like, oh, like I need to 
like there needs to be an element of control now like not control but I need to flick the switch off because like my body right. didn't know that it like we're not hiking anymore we, we don't need to keep on eating all of this food all the time I'd also say um all of my this is gonna get really gross now so because like, <laughs> if you watch if you watch watch like the last video of the Appalachian Trail there's a video of me where I'm basically wearing like my knickers and I'm showing you my back and you can see my hip bones and they're sticking out by about an inch and a half and it's like I am just skeletal and it's quite interesting all when I put the weight back on it's all gone onto my back so now I'm like <laughs> back, back, which is where it was where it's like stuck back on like really really solid but yeah like it was definitely there was definitely there was an adjustment period and um, I mean luckily for me I was actually going back into back well back to university um, in October so I had about three four weeks so luckily I had in, like another big challenge to focus on which was you know doing my master's or else, uh, I mean, I definitely did suffer from the adventure blues because mm-hmm. you go from this very simple, wonderful way of life. You know, you you wake up in the morning. You don't have anything to think about. You've got no worries. You've got no stress. You wake up and you pack you up. Walk. You get up and you start walking. And that's all. All you need to do is walk. That's all. That's your job is just to walk, to have drink water, stay hydrated, eat some food. You know, for me, take beautiful shots, film little clips here and there it's a it's a wonderful way of living and it's a very simple life it's a very addictive style of life as well yes and um you know for, for me i share i do i share a lot of my life on social media i i do have you know the podcast and the blog and i write books and mm-hmm. I, i'm very busy should i say um but i don't say that in like a proud way i'm like yeah i'm so busy it's just like i have a very busy life yeah. and then coming back to that and then studying again is again it's like so full-on and there's also so many more demands on you and your time whereas you don't have that on the Appalachian Trail it's a lot simpler and so I think there is that adjustment period I think you've also just got to be kind to yourself and I'm also I'm a I'm aware of this happening because I've spoken to lots of other women that have happened to Mm -hmm. when you come back from completing a big challenge you're going to go through this adjustment period where actually you don't want to do anything you're you you go through a sense of mourning that you're no longer living that life anymore and actually maybe you know all I did you know I'd have days where I just lay in bed I didn't have a shower I just watched Netflix I was so tired I watched <laughs> Netflix and drink water and try and eat like avocado and healthy food and avocado and salmon and um, vegetables all the vegetables I could eat because I hadn't had them for so long so um, yeah mm-hmm. definitely adjustment period something something to be aware of for people who do do the hike yeah between your body and mental oh huge yeah absolutely yeah you had done a lot of challenges in the past, but you've also talked to a lot of women who do this type of challenges, whether you're talking about Dixie, whether you're talking about Chrissy Wellington, whether you're talking about all of these women, what did you take away from those conversations and apply it to this challenge for yourself? I think um, a, a, a lot of it actually comes out as breaking it down. So when especially like you know some of the women that you've mentioned like some of these challenges when people tell you that they've climbed Mount Everest or they've done an Ironman or whatever mm-hmm. it's overwhelming the size of the challenge to look at it when you look at it in its entirety and if you look at the really think about the Appalachian Trail 2,200 miles walking through 14 states in a continuous line the equivalent of walking up and down Mount Everest 16 and a half times that's so big and when it's big it gets scary and it gets overwhelming but actually, what you have to do is you have to break it right down into small and smaller chunks. So this book that I was using, like the Appalachian Trail Guide, 
it, you, you had these little mile distances of where the next water was, where the next resupply was, where road crossings were, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and things to see. You could also break the book down into sections, so the states. So I could break it down to 14 states. And then in the state, the smaller sections of like, how much am I going to do per day? And so sometimes I wasn't even looking at the whole thing in its entirety. I was just focusing on that day. And sometimes I knew that I'd have to break it down to the next mile. That's all you need to focus mm-hmm. on. Sometimes for me, it was just get to that next tree, get to that next blaze. How many blazes can we get to? Breaking down the challenges, whether it is to monthly goals, weekly goals, daily goals, hourly goals, time goals, <laughs> break it down to as small as it is, as long as you're still moving. The other thing I'd say as well is definitely in regards to like the mental side of things, the mental training, the mental preparation. So, I mean, you've mentioned visualization, mental toughness, mental focus. I I was always thinking, I was always visualizing myself touching that sign. I could see myself physically touching the sign. Like even now, like I'm moving my hands to touch, yeah. Yeah, you know, to touch it. I could see myself on there on the 10th of September touching it. And that was a very visual, very powerful thing that I would think about. I think also controlling what you can control. So um, there's also this great uh, phrase that we use in, in my community. It's called be the egg. I don't know if you've heard of that. Um, so if you have if you have a pan of boiling water and the boiling water is like the environment, um, so you've got no okay. control over the boiling water, but you put an egg inside a pan and a potato inside a pan. So what happens to the potato as the water boils and it boils further and further, the potato disintegrates. But what right. happens to an egg when it's in boiling water? It hardens up. It gets tougher and tougher and tougher. It, it becomes strong internally. So for me, I think about that a lot and think about, well, what can I control in this situation? I can control me. I can control my emotions. And I can control my response to, to the stimulus, to the challenge, to the environment. Um, and that's all on me. So um, I think that was very, very powerful, thinking, well, uh, it's going to make me stronger. Um I think I was also mentally being very clear on my being clear. So what I've learned from these other women is, is having a goal, having a purpose and knowing your reasons why, and then being able to come back to that. And a lot of these women are so specific in their goal setting and knowing what they want to achieve and how they're going to go after it. Um, and I was very similar. I had a very specific goal that I was focusing on. And then every question, every aspect, is this going to help me get me closer to my goal? Yes or no? What do I need to do to achieve my goal? Right. Do I need to take action now? What do I need to do? So a lot of a lot of the advice and tips um, I, I did use, even having mantras. You know, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Yes. Occasionally, knowing that I need to listen to music um, to give me an added boost. Occasionally, you know, listening to podcasts. You know, and but also allow myself to have thinking time as well. And also knowing, look, not every day is going to be perfect, and being okay with that. And but also recognizing that actually you can't have. Um, you can't have rainbows without rain. So you, you've got to appreciate, right. you know, to appreciate the good, you've got to have some elements of the bad. And then also comes back to gratitude. Um, you know, what can you be grateful for? Um, that's an incredible, powerful, powerful thing to come back to as well. Yeah. What, while you were out there, what, what was the craziest thing that you found yourself being grateful for? Oh my God. Well, I would go through stretches sometimes where I had to say something that I was grateful for every time I saw a white blaze. <laughs> and it would get further. To be honest, sometimes it was, a lot of it was to do with food. I'm not going to lie. Like the fact that I've got a Snickers or a Twix bar in my bag, I'm grateful that I can, that I get to eat it. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's anything necessarily like ridiculously crazy that I was grateful for. I was just food, family, friends, not necessarily in that order. 
but yeah, like I think just having the opportunity to be out there. And I know, you know one of the reasons that I, sh- I share my journeys as well is I know that not everybody uh, can 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 do what I'm doing, and mm-hmm. and I and I get that, but I still want them to be involved and to be part of it. Um, and I think of you know the people I know who are my supporters, who are watching me, who want me to do well, who who are out there, who are following along and and, and being inspired by me and, and what I'm doing. And um, yeah, I, I think you can always find gratitude. I think you can always find something to be grateful for. Yeah, and it's something sometimes you have to work harder harder than others to be grateful. But yeah, <laughs> you can find it. Even if you're just grateful for the beautiful leaf on the tree. Ab- absolutely. Like, yeah, definitely. Knowing what you know now about the trail and, and about the experience of being on the trail for that hundred days, if you were to go back and do it again, what would you change? What would you do differently? Um, either with your gear or the way that you did it or, um, your approach to it? Uh, I, I don't think I wouldn't do the time pressure again that was just uh, yeah I, I wouldn't I wouldn't do it under time pressure I think that I'm missing out on like the trail family for, for instance I think I would have loved to have you know connected with more people and made it more of a more of a social thing happy with all of my gear if I could go lighter with my gear I would do but I don't think I uh you know for the budgets I have um nothing really no I'm happy with my gear uh I would have got maybe I would have got a better wife I would have got a better iPhone and I would have got a, and a US SIM card. That's what I would have done. If I could have flown business class on the way home, I would have done that. <laughs> um, what else? Uh, not many things like, uh, no, like I saw, I saw so much stuff. I mean, I'd be tempted to stay in other little places for maybe a little bit longer, but, Mm-hmm. Um, equally, I don't. I, ne- I never want to be sucked up into the vortex of towns, and that does make things a lot yeah. more expensive. So I'd rather spend more time out on the trail. I, if I could have eaten better food, I would have done. So if I could have afforded to, you know, to eat like the uh, organic paleo food that I like to eat, then I would have done. Um, if, if again, if cost wasn't involved, and I was, had had access to that as well. Um, no, I don't think I, there wouldn't be that much I'd change. No. What was the most surprising thing that you learned either about yourself or just learned period out there? It's hmm. a great question. I think for me, it comes back to, to knowing that I can set big goals and that actually if I have a clear plan and I break it down and I work hard every day, then I will achieve that goal. Um, as long as you stay focused. And I think the key moment is sometimes you can feel as though you're not making any progress at all. You just don't feel as though you're making any mm-hmm. impact, but you are. It's just so small and little. So I remember like looking on the Appalachian Trail map and thinking, God, I, you know, I've been walking out here for weeks and weeks and weeks. I haven't even done a quarter of the map. You know, when you see those big maps, which is like, like taller yeah. than you. And you just think that can be so, so demoralizing. And I think that really played an important lesson for me in thinking I've been in these situations, well, by being in that situation and feeling that demoralized and that I'm never going to make it. But then I know, well, actually, Sarah, you've just got to continue being consistent. You've got to continue putting in the work every single day and you will get there. It's just going to take you maybe a little longer than you thought it was. So, um, yeah, I think just having belief in myself and setting myself these big, crazy challenges and knowing that I can make it happen. I guess it's probably not the right question, but 
you've done these challenges before you came into this, you were, you know, you, you challenged yourself immensely by putting the hundred day quota on it. Did that raise the stakes enough for you for it to be interesting? Like, I, I completely get your headspace. I mean, that's why I do half Ironmans and Ironmans because there's that, that quality of will I make it or will I not make it? Um, and that's what's so interesting to me about it. Um, so did you in doing the, the hundred day challenge and, and, you know, breaking it down and, and so forth, all of the kind of all of the things that you're talking about, did you ever get there even with all the pressure? of, I don't want to do this anymore. This isn't interesting. This isn't. No, never, 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 never. Um, no, this isn't fun. <laughs> no, no. I mean, there was definitely moments where it was, it was never fun, but I'd also mm-hmm. mentally prepared for that. And, and I knew that, look, not every day is going to be amazing and that's okay. But I knew without a doubt, I would finish that Appalachian. I would finish the Appalachian. The only thing that would stop me, I, even, I think it wrote down is if I broke my leg, like, you know, um that you know or like medic like, like it would have to be something that severe like if i broke my arm i'd be thinking i can still walk with a broken arm do you know do you know what i mean uh if i break my collarbone i a little harder but a little harder but maybe i can have one strap off one strap on one side and you know you know i'd maybe try and like figure figure it out uh mm-hmm. but mentally i was no i was finishing that i never wanted to i would never not finish unless medically it wasn't possible now you you were able to do it in a hundred days, yeah. But there there was obviously a point in time in there when it could easily have stretched to a hundred and one days or a hundred and two mm-hmm. days. Would would that have have? I mean, there's and obviously there's no way of knowing for sure because it didn't happen and and so forth. But would that have possibly derailed you? Yes, <laughs> okay. I would have. I would have felt like a failure. My hundred percent. Like it's interesting because um, I, you know, I yes, I still walked the Appalachian Trail. Yes, it was amazing, but also to me, I would have failed. And I know that sounds ridiculous, and other people maybe <laughs> don't understand that. But I mean, even towards like towards the final three days, my actual my biggest concern or worry, which is something that I couldn't actually control, was the weather. Because if I was to get there on the morning of the tenth, and and it's, the storms were there. Storms are there, and it's not safe to go. So, you know, I'm not going to risk my life for it. Then that would have, I would have been very upset. Like I would have been, yeah, I would have been really emotional, really upset because it was outside my control, and I, I you know, I couldn't do it. So, you know, luckily, the weather was great. But yeah, 100, I would have, I would have felt like a failure. But then that would have been a lesson for me, and I would have been able to reflect back. And it might have taken me a while. To be like, oh, Sarah, you still hiked the Appalachian Trail. It's still an achievement. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I would have. Yeah, it wouldn't have been the same. Yeah, I did it 101 days. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, be, oh. Then, then I'd be like, I'd have to go back and do it again. <laughs> have you ever had that experience? Failure. Well, I mean, failure is a relative term mm. in so much as. Like in this case, you still finished, but it wasn't exactly how you had preconceived it. Yeah. So uh, the the best example I can give is I did something called, a, I don't know if you have them in the US, called a white collar boxing match. Mm, no, we don't. So, so basically you, you, tra- you get trained up in boxing 
eight weeks before and then you step into a ring with somebody that you know a person of equal mm-hmm. skill in front of a thousand people and you have a fight and what's interesting for me is um I uh I'm I'm very you know I'm very fit I'm very healthy I'm very strong I lift weights at the gym I've got a solid endurance base mentally I know where you're going with this you know again mentally <laughs> I you know I I visualized I visualized being in the ring I you know I put in the work I put in the hours I put in the practice I did every single thing that you could possibly do tactically which which type of you know who am I going to be put up against and bearing in mind so for, for me being in my late 30s a lot of the women who were doing the challenge they'd never done exercise before They'd never, you know, they'd ne- literally never boxed before and they'd be boxing and they'd throw out a punch and be like, ooh, ooh, ooh. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I don't want to say I'm competitive, but in certain times I am competitive. But there was also a lot of expectation on me from other people because, well, it's like, well, Sarah is super fit, mentally strong. Yeah. And I, you know, I go into this boxing ring and, I'm going in to win. Like that's, you know, I'm going mm-hmm. to this fight to, to win. Didn't happen. Ended up, I came second. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. I mean, there, there, there is more, there is more to, to that story, but basically that was really hard to take because I had to, I came back. I did actually, I did a solo episode about my boxing experience. You can go and listen to it. I answered questions and that was really dealing with, with failure coming in second thinking, hold on. I've done everything right here. I've done all the mm-hmm. training. I've done more than the training. I'm super fit. I, you know, I'm my my diet, my hydration, my supplements, my ment everything was done to the best of my ability. There, there was nothing that I could have done more. I gave I gave everything and yet I didn't come out with the result that I wanted or expected and that everybody mm-hmm. else expected me to come out with. And that was really challenging. And also that was that impacted my ego as well. Like, because it was like, oh, hold on, I need to reevaluate and reflect here. What's the learning and how can I, um, what feelings am I feeling? Okay, how am I going to handle these feelings? And also, how can I use these feelings to help other people? So now I can really understand what it's like to fail. And actually, well, how did I get over that? What have I learned from this? How can I talk about this with other people? So when I go into schools, I can talk about, hey, came second in my boxing match. It's, you know, at the end of the day, it's not nice to fail. It's not nice to fail in front of a thousand people. It's not nice to be punched in the face and have, you know, a thousand people go, ooh. Um, but it's a big lesson. It's a big lesson. And, um, and it is an opportunity to come back and to think again about okay what have I learned on this journey so what did I learn in the process of getting into the boxing that's where all the growth yeah. was happening those you know that those final minutes or whatever I mean actually it was it was like I won one round she won the second round and then it, to be fair, it was very close to a draw but uh, you know she you know she she did win at the end of the day even though she was well, anyway I won't go into that uh, <laughs> but you, do you know what I mean there's there's lessons in there about about learning about that about what you think of failure and actually would I do it again if it was the same result yes because I still learn I still grew I still developed as a person and it's better to try something and fail than it is not to know and not not to have had that experience so um so yeah well and and failure is a relative gauge yeah you know again going back to what we were talking about you know 100 days versus 102 days 
it would just be- failure is relative in that in that thing but yeah, like, oh, I know. yeah. you know Again, it's, it's, just, it's personal isn't it everybody it's totally yeah. personal yeah it's totally personal yeah it's it's totally personal but yeah it probably would have thrown you back out on the trail again <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i'll see you next year <laughs> yeah. do you have any interest in doing the other trails at this point or yeah. you've done that challenge and moved on no um i mean the reason i did the cycling challenge afterwards was i was I was a bit over hiking, to be honest. I was, you know, the following year, I, I, I wasn't excited. Like, and I, I don't do challenges for, for other people. I do them for, for me and I just mm-hmm. share what I love to do. So even if other people didn't watch it or, you know, I'd still be doing it for me. And I just couldn't get excited about hiking. The thought of, I was like, oh God, no, I don't want to put a backpack on. No, 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 cold, wet shoes. No, camp, no, no, not doing any more of that. And that's why I ended up doing the cycling. But the Pacific, Oh yeah, the Pacific. I was going to say Pacific Coast Highway, but no, Pacific, Pacific Crest, Crest Trail. Yeah, I mean, I do look at it, and it is beautiful. And I've watched a few of like Dixie's vlogs, and, I, and I've got a, mm-hmm. I've got a couple of friends who've done it before, and I've spoken, yeah, I spoke to a great girl called Alex. Um, who's done, I think you've spoken with her, Alex Mason. Yeah. yeah, I was actually going to recommend her to you. Um, I at the end of this, yeah, yeah I've, been, I've been with Alex twice um, about a Pacific Crest Trail and also the Appalachian Trail. She, you know, incredible, incredible woman, very inspirational. And, um, and, and it's on there and I know I want to do it, but basically at the moment I've actually, my left knee is still really not in a great place since the Appalachian trail. So I've got, I've got lazy glutes and I've gone over on my ankle, my left ankle, like so many times. Like I think one of the vlogs you see me, like I film it Mm -hmm. being very upset, but what, what I hadn't filmed previously is that's like the 12th or the 20th time that I've gone over on my left ankle. So I was really sort of damaged my ankle so therefore that impacted on my knee and how I walked and with lazy glutes not firing so my knee at the moment isn't in I I, I'm not I can't run and I struggle to walk like it's so I'm basically I'm trying to rehab at the moment but yeah it's on the list I want to do it I think the biggest thing that I need to think about is um how can I do it how can I share it and how can I keep my business going at the same time so I don't want to I would never do the Pacific Coast uh Pacific Crest Trail in like I wouldn't put a time pressure on it I mean mm-hmm. I'd I'd have to do it in you know with certain time frame but you know is it I do I finish in September again do I finish the trail on September the 10th of my birthday that could be quite awesome but then how do if I'm going to be out there for five months and this time it's more about like the trail family and enjoying the the experience and not having having a totally different experience by not having the time pressure how can I continue my business like can I do can I mean I'm asking myself this question can I preload 25 podcast episodes can I preload five months worth of content so my business continues to run and if I want to vlog it which I do because I want to share it Mm -hmm. with other people how can I vlog the trail and how can I edit it and get those videos out in a timely fashion because that was the, one of the issues I had with the Appalachian Trail was trying to get videos uploaded and footage uploaded and edited um it became like my videos were still coming out in December even though I'd finished the trail in September and so people end up losing interest if it's not in the in the real mm-hmm. time and these are questions I just don't have the and I mean you you know how difficult it is to do podcasts and to edit them and to put them together and to put them out yeah to do 25 and it's I don't know. Like it's it's something I think about a lot. Like, is it twenty twenty? Is it next year? Is it the year after? Twenty twenty. Yeah, I, I don't know. Twenty twenty for me at least. Twenty twenty for you. Amazing. Are you going to go north <laughs> to south or south to north? Uh, I'm going north. North. So north. Nobo. Yeah. 
I'll start in Campo and finish up in, in Vancouver or in Banning and then, or Manning, sorry, Manning and then over to Vancouver. My family's up in Washington state. Oh, perfect. Have you got, have you got your start date sorted? Locked in? I'm, I haven't, I don't have it locked in and I probably won't have it exactly locked in until November when we can file for the permits. But I'm looking at like mid April, basically. Yeah. Which is, which is early for the Pacific Crest Trail. Um, but, I figure, and, and I'm already going through this mental gymnastics in my head, you know, is because obviously the goal is to hike it straight through and so forth. But this season on the Pacific Crest Trail, there was a lot of snow. Yeah. And so people are running into that issue and having to reformulate their plans in order to hike every mile, but do it safely with all of the snow. And there have been some big storms lately and, and all of that. And, and so I'm already kind of doing what you're talking about in terms of the mental gymnastics of, okay, if I start on April 14th or whatever, and it's early and I get to the Sierras and there's still a lot of snow, do I go off trail? Do I, and then come back or do I flip flop if there's snow there? Like already starting to do that mental gymnastics thing of, of mm-hmm. how to make it all the way but but take into consideration the things that I can't control, like the yeah. weather. But also sometimes it's just a question of saying, you know, you're not going to be able to decide that until you get out there. So all, you, yeah. all we have to do is you sit down and say, okay, you get to uh, wherever you get to. Okay, is there snow? What are the options? Bam, bam, then those are my options if it's snow. If there's not snow, what my options carry on? Right. You know, it's almost like mm-hmm. that filtering down chart of like, okay, A leads to B, leads to C. Right, yeah. put it all out there, forget about it, and just, yeah, set your start date, crack on with it. That's going to be awesome. I'm so excited for you. I'm I'm excited. You probably don't have this experience with the AT because it was, it's not something that's been out there for you for so long. But I've been talking about the PCT for over a decade oh, wow. in one way, shape, or form. Um, you know, with friends or, you know, talking about it and then obviously reading wild and, you know, that, that whole thing. And so to finally make the commitment and just say, it's going to happen regardless. Good. Um, is freeing. Yep. Is that the right word? Absolutely. <laughs> it's empowering as well. Because yeah. actually it's, do you know, it's, it's a big step making the commitment. That's one more, because I think the hardest, the first step is always the hardest. And you've actually already taken the hardest step by making the commitment. Because now what you're doing is you're just building momentum. Because like, well, yeah. you know, you know, once you figure out, you know, you get your part, you know, when you apply for your permits, you will have written down all your gear list, you know, what you need to buy. There's, there's only so many things that you can think about. And then it's a question of, okay, you're doing this. Like there is a countdown mm-hmm. clock happening. Put, a, I had a countdown clock on my website, put a countdown clock on your website. <laughs> How many days? I should start? actually. Yeah. Because that, that's also a great motivator as well in terms of, right. How do I do what? What are my areas of weakness I need to work on? So, like, you know, are you doing your gym exercises? Are you lifting muscle? Are you strengthening your shoulders? Are you firing your glutes? Are you massaging your feet? Are you, you know, I don't know what it is that you're doing, but Mm -hmm. yeah, like figuring all this stuff out, it's going to be awesome. And be able and to be able to share that with other people as well. And also, I'm sure your friends and family are equally as excited because they've probably been hearing you talk about it for so long. (laughs) Like, yes, you're finally doing it. So, and that's being an inspiration for others. Yeah. No, it, it's interesting. And, and it is making the commitment, but I was also realizing, and I've realized in the last couple of years, a lot of it is also about permission, like giving yourself permission mm-hmm. to, to want it, to do it. 
uh, to have the experience of yeah. it. Yeah, very powerful. And and it, actually, when you learn, like I sometimes say on my pod, by podcast, you know, like this is me giving you permission. I give you permission to yep. to do what it is, and that is a big step. And also doing something, and I doing something which is which people can see is a little bit selfish. And I'm like, no, this is your life. You have one life to live, and you do not want to wake up in forty years thinking, why didn't I do that? And now you're you know you're doing it. Do you know what I mean? That's yeah. That's powerful, Mm -hmm. really powerful. Good for you. Good for you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Have you talked to Dixie about how she did the whole logistics from the trail? Um, I, well, I spoke with Dixie for, for the pod. So I've done another episode with, I was actually going to recommend a couple. So I've spoken with, uh, Cheryl Strayed from Wild. Yeah. She came on my hundredth episode. So she was amazing to, amazing to speak to. Um, Dixie, we did talk about, I don't know how much depth of logistics we really went, we really went into. There's also another lady called Kat Davis. She's got a website called Following the Arrow. She's got a, her website is great, actually. It's very, very specific, lots of information, daily blog, a very clear gear list, very concise, very well written. Um, I mean, it just depends how you want to do it. And also, it also depends on things like your, your budget as well. And because um, I know people who you know do the boxes and sending the boxes forward to do like the resupply and stuff. But then I'm also very aware, and I know this from past experience, that the food that I eat at the beginning of the trail is <laughs> the food that you're not going to want to see in eight weeks' time. And many people don't necessarily get that. And it's going to be a case of if that's the food you bought for the whole trail, then you open up, you're just like, oh, I don't really want another peanut butter cliff bar I've had about 30 of them so um oh I don't know like uh, are there any logistics that you're concerned about at the moment or that that's sort of like on your top of your list or um I think the snow in the Sierras is certainly a, a logistical thing that I'm concerned about but it, again it's one of those things where you sort of I guess the phrase that I keep saying to myself and the phrase that I I say to myself when I'm doing like the triathlons is do what you can with what you have where you are. Yeah. So like trying to stay focused in the moment or present in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm kind of using that as the thing for s- the snow or the lack of snow or the too much snow or whatever it is that's going to be there. But I just asked, have you had training in those types of conditions? Have you ever experienced that before? Like have you used crampons uh, and ice axes? And I haven't. I've used crampons before. I haven't used ice axes and ice axe. Is there a course that you can maybe go on? Is there like a one-day yeah. wilderness like? out in the mountains winter mountains course or something or even like wilderness first aid and stuff because then that's yeah that's, i think that's increasing your knowledge because then that gives you reassurance thinking well actually you know what i've got experience in the snow i know how to use my crampons i know how to use my to be safe out there basically i know how mm-hmm. to do the water crossings i know how to get across safely because then you're teaching yourself those skills and it you know you're not necessarily having to learn on learn on trail i mean that could be very yeah. powerful if you've got the you know the time and the resources to do that yeah. No, and that's huge because the water crossings are a big one. Mm. Um, you know, because with the, with the spring runoff, the, the rivers are so full and the water's so f- moving so fast. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's a huge one. You know, and again, going back to the snow thing is sleeping on the snow, like, or putting your tent up on the snow and like, how do you, how do you insulate that as much as you can so that you don't, get so cold. I, there have been a number of people that I've been following this season who have been complaining about how cold it is. Yeah. You know, and I'm not a big fan of cold. 
so, I'm with you. I hate the cold. <laughs> but I also think just it's it's the the hitchhiking thing is probably the thing that I I don't vocalize as much, but as, it's probably the thing that I'm most nervous about because you need it so much more on the Pacific Crest Trail, and you're relying on the kindness of strangers. Yep. And you're hoping that they're not wacky. Yeah. I mean, I all incredibly valid points. I mean, I I I did hitch. I, I like, oh, I've hitchhiked loads. It's all fine. Um, <laughs> and you know, unfortunately, in the end of the day, uh, the biggest threat to to women is is men. Um, mm-hmm. when you're out there, and they're, it's a question of you following, you know, your gut instinct and the vibe that you're getting, and and um, as being as sensible as possible, and also the time of day that you're doing it. I mean, I remember on the Appalachian Trail, like things that I would think about is when I'm coming up to when I'm coming up to a road to do a road crossing. I'm before I I don't just walk across I I stop maybe 10 meters before who's out there are there any trucks uh, you know who's around is it male is it female is it not far across the road mm-hmm. equally I wouldn't leave my backpack outside my tent because it's um it's very obviously a female backpack with the green with the green mm-hmm. on um but I would leave my hiking poles outside my tent because they're because I'm very tall so they look really tall so people will probably think that you know there are men's men's hiking poles um, with right. the hitchhiking, I think it is following your gut instinct. And the other thing I'd say is, ninety nine point nine percent of people out there are absolutely amazing. And and it's the unfortunate, you know, sometimes it is wrong time, wrong place. And I know that that's not helpful at all. But it is. You can't worry about that. Um, people people will know what you're doing. Like they'll be expecting it. And there's going to be other there'll be other hikers out there who you'll be able to hitchhike with. But it's also one of those things that you learn by doing like just like yeah yeah just by going through the first experience figuring it out and and also being able to say actually if someone comes down you think actually don't want to get in a truck with you or the van or whatever you just go oh actually do you know, no I've got another friend coming they've just sent me a message now I'm gonna wait for them sorry about that but mm-hmm. thanks so much or you know I always look for couples is there a man is there a woman oh, I just basically I, I just want to be picked up by women <laughs> women and couples <laughs> that's all I want to be collected by um but I did um yeah. When I was interesting, when I was on the um, Pacific Coast Highway, my bike broke and I needed to hitch a ride into into to the. I had to go back forty odd miles, and on that day, oh, wow. I had to hitch four times, and I ended up like sixteen guys helped me hitch. So the first there was a van, two guys picked me up in a van lovely sweet dropped me off in the first town four guys then stopped to help like try and fix my bike I then had to hitch a ride um three Argentinian guys picked me up and drove me all the way to another town actually it was five hitches then got to the town another guy picked me up all were lovely no issues one even said to me said oh you've been so entertaining on this ride I've really enjoyed our conversation here's twenty dollars to buy yourself a you know a nice burger the next time you get into to a nice town so um yeah I always I always try for, and look for the good so um yeah but, but I, I do you know what valid fears and it's okay to say do you know what it's okay to feel like this and um yeah try it try it and see and, and if not you you wait for other people you hitch in a group um and, and that's what you need to do especially if you're not under time pressure it's um yeah what what was your hitchhiking approach like? Did you have a sign with you, or just stick your thumb oh, out, or stick your thumb out, <laughs> stick your thumb out, smile? <laughs> I'd also um, uh, I try not to be. Uh, I don't 
try to pick up rides in a sexual way should I say like so I'm not like trying yeah. to stick my leg out I actually put my, my rain jacket on and like zip my zip it up so that I'm everything is covered but to be honest mm-hmm. I'm not you're normally so smelly dirty and feral it's um <laughs> like <laughs> you're sort of in in the back I mean I did I had a sign like a couple of times like the final stretch back when I was able to carry like I borrowed some cardboard and wrote on a sign and then mm-hmm. I was able to get collected but otherwise it's just the thumb up and pe- people will know where you're going so um yeah and also you won't be carrying cardboard or pen or paper well maybe not have pen or paper handy so handing for yeah yeah <laughs> what was your worst moment on trail oh must be on trail or hardest or uh, the, <laughs> I would say the most the most like upsetting moment on, on trail was when I was in the white mountains and I was climbing up these big massive boulders and I dropped my GoPro with like like four weeks of footage in and I was literally like no like oh my god no like I cannot have dropped this I was yeah and it dropped in so it was like these big boulders and it dropped into a cavern inside. And I was like, can I get in there with my backpack on? And I couldn't. And then my next question was, I could see it, I could see it, but I couldn't reach down with my hand to get it. So I physically would have to get climbed down into like the this boulder cave. Mm-hmm. And then my before I did that, I was like, if I climb in there, can I get out like am I physically like strong enough? Are there any ledges? How you know, because it's obviously it's easy to get mm-hmm. down because you can jump down. Um, so I sort of was looking and I was like, do I do, oh, what do I, and then in the end I was like, you can do it, you can do it. So I sort of had to take my backpack off on the side of this cliff and like rest it and then, you know, scrambled down, got my GoPro, hope it's still working, found some branches, pulled myself back up, back onto the, the side of this cliff thing, then having to put my backpack back on me, on the, you know, balancing precariously on the edge. That was quite upsetting or not upsetting. <laughs> then, no, I think that was probably the worst moment. I didn't really have. Uh, I had enraging moments, like. Ooh, uh, do tell. Well, I was in. Um, I'd had an amazing day. I'd gone like twenty-five miles or something, and I got into the shelter at five o'clock. And this was like, this is ne- this never happens. I'm always getting into the shelter at half nine o'clock at night. You know, after doing twenty-five miles, but I'd just been on my fire. I got in at five o'clock. There was a really nice guy there called um, called John. And he was like, oh, do you want some, do you want some dinner? And I was like, food? Yes, please. And he was cooking it. So it was going to be like hot food, this nice, hot, amazing pasta dish. So I went, I bathed my feet in this ice cold water. So, you know, I put my, I sleeping inside the shelter. I put my sleeping bag out and everything was ready. And I'd done all my like self care. I drank my water. I brushed, you know, washed my face and you know, everything. I'd reorganized my pack. Food was being cooked for me. We had this lovely meal, got to about half six. And it's like, oh, let's, you know. I was like, oh, I'm off to off to bed. Absolutely fine. So John's on the other side of the cabin. I'm in the so he's like on the right hand side of the shelter, and I'm on the, like the left hand side of the shelter. And you know, eight thirty goes dark at eight. Fell asleep, and then it got to midnight. And then there's this rustling noise, and then there's this, this head torch and this light being shined on, on like on my face. And I was like, what what the hell is going on? So I like, so sat up, and there was this older gentleman who just who just arrived at the shelter at about midnight. So now my first of all, I was like raging because I was like, oh, okay, he's obviously had a bad day. Okay, that's fine. He's coming now. He's found the shelter. He'll be quick. So just, you know, get his stuff out, get to sleep. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. This was an hour long 
blowing up his air mattress, getting his sleeping bag out, him washing his clothes, him cooking his food, all while wearing this bright light headlight. And I was just, I was raging. I was absolutely raging. Um, but I was just, you know, you've got, you've got to be respectful and nice. And, you know, I didn't really want to make comments or anything. So fine. And then he finally stopped at one in the morning. And I thought we'll have a really nice, okay, back to sleep. Another and five hours and we're going to be good. That'll be another, yeah, another five hours. Nope. Five o'clock in the morning, he was up and started the whole process again of <laughs> the water and the clothes and the packing up and everything. And I was just like, I was, I was raging because like, this is such sleep is so precious for me because it's, it's where I do all my rest and recovery. Um, and I, and I did feel, uh, I didn't actually, actually at that point, I can't remember when I found out his age or something, but then uh, after breakfast, I basically found out he was like this 78 year old man. And he'd obviously got a little bit confused on the trail previously and didn't know, you know, didn't know where he, where he was, where he was going. And, and so mm-hmm. I can feel the empathy then. And so then I felt like a mega <laughs> for, for feeling that way and, um, and not showing co- compassion to, to a fellow, to fellow hiker. But that was possibly one of my, it was just more because that, that then impacts me for the next because because I didn't get enough sleep. I'm then not as mm-hmm. efficient during the day. I'm then more tired. I'm then more grumpy, and it and it's really hard to recover your sleep. So, but that's uh, that's probably my worst. No, I didn't really have I didn't really have worse moments. No, no. And I I could imagine from feeling the 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 rage, the being unraged. Like there's a level of hormones, so to speak, or or endorphins or adrenaline or whatever that goes through your body when that happens, which makes it harder to go back to sleep, but it also lingers in your body the next day, Mm. you know? And so that's impacting, even though you then did find compassion and empathy, that stuff is still lingering in there, working itself through your body. And that's affecting your hike as well. I agree. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) What was it? What was your best moment day experience on trail? Ooh, uh, I was going to, it's probably linked to food that day. I, I, I stayed in a hostel. This isn't my best. It's a little story. I stayed in a hostel and they had an ice cream, um, uh, you know, the cabinet with all the ice creams in right mm-hmm. next to the sofa. And it was like an honor system. So you could just lie on the sofa, grab an ice cream and mark it. <laughs> and so I just lay there and ate five Snickers ice creams. I mean, I can't stop eating them. I just lay there and ate five and like literally tick, 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 tick. So spent like $20 on ice cream. It was amazing. Uh, that was definitely a highlight. Um, I suppose for me, there was a couple of, couple of moments. Um, one of them, I, was, um, I got to meet a member of, of my community, the Tough Girl Tribe. This girl called Becca messaged me saying, oh, I'm going to be at Klingman's Dome. I think we'll be crossing over and we planned it to meet. So, I, so you know, unfortunately, poor Becca, it was raining and I was six hours late because, you know, I thought, oh, I'll get there at, you know, four or two o'clock or whatever. I didn't got there at like six o'clock. But, you know, getting to meet members of the Tough Girl Tribe on trail was, was always fantastic. But I possibly have to say like my final day, like my birthday, finishing the trail, coming off meeting another member of the tough girl tribe became quite me a lovely lady called jojo um he then drove me to um drove me to boston that was that was really special like i did um you know climbing up the mountain and then after i'd finished the trail uh, walking back down sorry walking back down from katardin it was this incredibly um no one else was there it was super peaceful really quiet there was no there was no noise there was no there was no pressure there was just um this wonderful alone time in this contemplation and this really 
reflective opportunity. And, you know, it only lasted maybe like about 40 minutes or so before, you know, I met other people again and went back into <laughs> back in civilization. But I found that very, very powerful and um, best day. But, you know, I, it was such a privilege to be out there. And um, like, I, I love the fact that I recorded it as well. I can go back and watch through like certain certain days and certain moments mm-hmm. and whether that's eating pizza for breakfast or, um, you know, having sunshine on a rock or, you know, oh, what is it, McAfee Knob, you know, that was a be- mm-hmm. you know, the most stunning weather ever possible. And being there with people who I'd know on the trail who were able to like film me and take photos. Because sometimes that, one of my slight worries is that I'll get to these beautiful places and I want to take a lovely photo. I don't necessarily always want it to be a selfie. Um, and it's also nice to be able to share those moments. But yeah, it's just, yeah, it's all merged into one fantastic, amazing experience, which is a bit of cop out of your answer. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people find it hard to think of what that would be because it's all kind of blurred together. Yeah, yeah. I, d- I definitely agree. And I think that's actually why I'm so pleased I do have the vlogs because sometimes I do go back. I mean, I do laugh at myself, especially when I get tearful because I do cry a lot in the vlogs, but it's just me being you know, emotional and tired. Um, but it was you know, these little moments, these little clips, these little, yeah, these little moments. And you're just like, that was amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. very good. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that we should or that should be said? Oh, about the Appalachian Trail? About the Appalachian Trail, the experience of it, the preparation for it? Oh, that's such a good Any question. We've talked about so much. Oh, my goodness. Um, um, no. No, I think, I think you've, you've, you've covered it a lot in detail. <laughs> I literally can't. I mean, if anybody, obviously, if anybody does have any questions or wants to, wants to speak to me about it, I mean, I've done, I've done a, uh, I think I've, I can't remember if I've done one or two episodes on it, um, on, on my podcast. So where I've either done an interview before I've gone about my planning and preparation or I've done an interview. I've definitely done an interview afterwards. And if you've, what, you can watch all the vlogs as well. But if you, if there is a question or you, something you're desperate to know, then obviously, you know, please feel free to reach out and send me an email and, I'll happily answer it, sarahtoughgirlchallenges.com, and just, yeah, just let me know. Um, but any burning questions left? <laughs> so is that the best place for people to reach out to you at Sarah at Tough Girl Challenges? Uh, best place to go would be toughgirlchallenges.com because that's that's my website. And in the website, it's all the information on the podcast, the blog, all of the books that I've written. There's links to my to my email address. There's links to all of the vlogs as well, so you can watch that. There's also more episodes about other women who've hiked the Appalachian Trail as well, um, so you can find them all. So you can do a bit of searching around. Um, I'm also on social media as well, but all the links go through toughgirlchallenges.com. Okay, perfect. Cool. You you just answered the next question, which was where can people find you? Yeah, toughgirlchallenges.com. Woo. <laughs> Show notes and links for Sarah's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. Special thanks to Sarah for sharing her stories from the trail and Maya Wynn for the use of the song Try Again. If you have through hiking adventures to share, we'd love to hear them. Please email me at hikingthroughpodcast at gmail.com or you can also DM me on Instagram at hikingthroughpodcast. 
We would also love it if you would find us on your favorite podcast provider and leave a review. I'll see you on the trail.